You are listening to the San Antonio Zen Center Dharma Talks. The San Antonio Zen Center is supported solely by donation, so that everyone can participate in our offerings and programs, regardless of income. If you are able, please consider making a donation to SAZC through the donation button on our site, sanantoniozen.org, or by visiting paypal.me slash sanantoniozen. Thank you for your practice and enjoy the talk. Well, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Yesterday was the shortest day of the year of this calendar. It was the solstice. The night before was the longest night. Soon, uh, soon we be we finish another orbit around the sun. Calendrically speaking, nearly every moment is a completion of some orbit around the sun. So, matter for our starting point is what we consider the starting point or what we consider the end point. So we have this practice in the U.S. of New Year's Eve of thinking about our aspirations for the next year, our the goals or our resolutions. According to a podcast I've been listening to, they don't last very long, these resolutions. Um, often what happens is somebody says, I'm going to do yoga three times a week. And then uh, something happens and then they don't do it three times a week. They maintain it for a little while. And then something happens and they don't do it or not able to do it three times a week. And then rather than resuming the three times a week schedule, they say, well, that's long. <laughs> You know, may as well go back to not doing yoga at all <laughs> or uh, eating carbs again, <laughs> sugar. So for, for our New Year's Eve ceremony that we do here at the San Antonio Zen Center and that we do at many temples in the U.S., particularly the uh, at least that I know of the San Francisco Zen Center lineage, is we write down on pieces of paper things that we would like to be free of. So any hindrances that we have that we would like to resolve to re-loosen for the next year. And then uh, along with the names, along uh, we, we burn those along with the names the people that we have done memorial services for in the last year, as well as any bits of incense that uh, are left over from the cheapening process, from the altar cleaning process. So we've just completed 
the six-month cycle from June, mid-June to mid-December of kind of turning inward. Of the 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 day the days get shorter, the nights get longer. There's more darkness. Uh, it's not as pronounced here as it is, say in Michigan, for example. Days are very short up there. It's a time of really turning inward, and at the end of that period, we begin to take what we have been studying in ourselves, and then we begin to turn that outward, where we can work on changes that are uh, even insights that we have. So it's a really sweet thing, but it's just like the classic yin and yang symbol. Right? Or turn inward and then we turn outward. And one aspect of turning outward is <clears throat> that is very important. Because we have so much time to, depending on our mindset, to stew or to ruminate, <clears throat> is the practice of forgiveness. Um, when Nelson Mandela took office as president of South Africa, uh, a lot of folks were really worried. Because apartheid had been in, the, in place, this institutional, seriously institutionalized system of racism had been in place for so long that there was so much uh, energy built up. Um, and, and Mr. Mandela, having been subject to the apartheid himself, and having been imprisoned for 30 years, um, he didn't want bloodshed. He wanted to try to make it a peaceful transition. So what he did is he wanted to establish a Truth and Reconciliation Commission. And I don't know if did any did, I don't know if anyone watched those in the in the early nineties, late eighties, early nineties, where there were these very public hearings that were televised, and he asked his friend uh, Archbishop. Desmond Tutu, to head up the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. So all these, all these um, crimes against Black South Africans uh, could be brought to life, to light, uh, and to life actually by the people who perpetrated them. So the, the institutions, the policemen, the military, who killed Black South Africans or oppressed them really egregious ways. It was all publicly aired. And uh, Bishop Tutu was, uh, apparently he really wears his, his, his heart on his sleeve. So he, when he first began hearing the stories from both black South Africans and white South Africans about what had happened, there were clips of him just breaking down and sobbing with a heartbreak. And as part of this, a reporter was doing an interview with him and said, ah, 
how do you do this? How do you listen to these stories all day long? You know, some really difficult stuff. And he said, well, I'm really lucky in that I have a forgiving heart. And the reporter said, so what is forgiveness then? And he said, forever giving up your right to retribution. Forever, forever forgoing retaliation. There are a lot of definitions of forgiveness. Uh, I think it's kind of like love. There's not a single definition. Uh, because we are all different people. We may have different... Uh, we, we may experience it and practice with forgiveness in a certain way, or love in a certain way. Um, so this was Desmond Tutu's uh, definition. This is how he saw forgiveness. We can think of it as forbearance. Um, something about the word relinquish that come, keeps coming up in my mind, like uh, relinquishing resentment. Um, and how we think of it in Zen is with the precept of Vowing not to harbor ill will. So vowing not to give ill will a safe space, a port in a storm. Another way to look at it is to shine the light on ill will so that it can be clearly seen, so that we are aware of it. So we turn the light of mindfulness on any ill will that we have. Uh, that's, the, that's the first step. Uh, just so we can see it. A lot of times we feel it uh, and it takes, we may not, we may really be really good at suppressing until it builds up and we explode it somewhat. Some of uh, some of you have heard me say this before. There's this really strange image that we have in our culture of nursing a grudge. Right? So, like, imagine like nursing this grudge baby, sucking the life out of you. I mean, that's what that's, that's what nursing a grudge does. It, it uh, sucks the life out of us. I think uh, I heard Blanche Hartman Roshi speak about this, the former abbess of San Francisco Zen Center. Uh, her definition of forgiveness was not holding others responsible for your expectations. And she had to, she really had to work with this because she found out uh, in a rather unkind way that her daughter was a porn star. And so Blanche had to practice with this for a long time until she finally realized that her daughter was not responsible 
Blanche's expectations. She was never able to completely reconcile it. it was, there was always some discomfort for her. Uh, but it was, it, it was a very potent time for her practice, uh, for both she and Lou. Not holding others responsible for expectations, but that's, a, that's not bad. That's not bad. Uh, we could take it a step further and say not holding ourselves responsible for our expectations, right? Not giving our expectations too much, too much life, you know, just to, oh, look at this, I think it's supposed to be a certain way. So the question is, can we forgive? reality for not meeting our expectations. Can we forgive the world for not being as we think it should be? For people not behaving as we think they should be? Can we forgive our loved ones for dying and leaving us behind? So it's a, uh, it can be a tall order. It can be a very tall order to do this. But if we are dedicated to not harboring ill will, then our practice requires that we uh, undergo a fearless moral inventory, to use the language in recovery. So, because that that means we have to look at ourselves as well too. It's very easy to say, you know, they, it, whatever, to me. Uh, There's a a minister by the name of Nadia Boltz uh, Weber, and she talks about forgiveness. She has these nice little short clips, and she basically says that. Forgiveness is, it's actually a very radical thing. She says, because in, in the act of, of a wrong done to us, there's this chain. She uses, she uses the image of a chain uh, that binds us to someone who did us wrong or to reality or whatever, what, however we were wronged. And she actually sees... Um, forgiveness is being bolt cutters that severs the chain where she to use her words she says what you did was so wrong I refuse to be connected to it I refuse to be tied to you or to the event or what happened So she experiences it as a, as a very radical uh, warrior thing. It's not a passive forgiveness. It's not a passive thing where we, where it's not about being nice, or we, or it's, um, or we engage in what's often called idiot compassion. 
where we just say, oh yeah, well, I, I forgive you and we'll just pretend it never happened and I'm going to let you use me as a doormat. It's not about that. Actually, forgiveness is about taking back our power. Because whenever we harbor ill will, we are giving up our power. We're, we're, put, we're placing our well-being in someone else's hands rather than taking responsibility for it, for ourselves. So it's, it's a very empowering thing. And notice, notice if you, uh, the next time something happens and you want to blame, or if you find yourself blaming, notice what that feels like. Notice the, the powerlessness, the helplessness that is created through blaming someone. And notice what happens when we don't. And the beauty, the, in, in my view, um, the real beauty of the forgiveness is it doesn't require us to pretend like nothing ever happened, which is kind of what is like the assumption in a way. Like if someone does this wrong, and maybe they have wronged us, and we say, okay, well, I forgive you. Let's just go back to the way things were. Actually, no. no the, the beauty of forgiveness is that we don't have to be friends with the person. We don't have to like them. We don't have to be buddies. We don't have to pretend. Say, no, you know, I, I forgive you. I'm not releasing you from your karma of your actions but I'm not going to be beholden to that anymore. You've got to work out your own salvation, your own karma, to resolve your own karma, but I'm not going to, you know, uh, I don't need to be around while you do that. (laughs) And One thing that can be helpful is something Norman Fisher says. um, He says, there are no unforgivable people. He says, there are unforgivable acts. Absolutely, there are unforgivable acts, but there are no unforgivable people. So the the, the question is, is, how do we want to take this practice on of forgiveness? What does forgiveness look like for you? Uh, sometimes it, it, it may just begin as um, uh, refraining from reacting or lashing out. It can be as, as simple as that. Because this is ground that has, uh, some people are like Desmond Tutu, seem to be naturally endowed with this capacity. Those with us, those of us with harder edges, sharper edges, need a little, a little extra help. Yeah. Um, so this is why it's, uh, in my view, really important to 
to literally cultivate this. In the same way that if you're going, uh, people don't do it as much anymore, but uh, in the old days, whenever you wanted to plant, you would plow the earth, and then there was a cultivator come behind. So you turn the earth over, so that way all the grass and everything that's already there, all this old karma that's already there, can, uh, can be torn up and can die. And then you um, bring along a disc to chop it up even further. So that way you're preparing the ground for this new seed that's going to be laid. So that it has a chance. It's not competing with the stuff that's already there. Nowadays, they just spread herbicides on the ground and do a drill press so the earth is never turned. And the, the poet Wendell Berry, who's also a farmer, um, says, well, you know, there's a lot of backlash against plowing because the soil can really get eroded. But he says, plowed soil can actually absorb three times more water and soil that is not broken. So by, by turning the soil, by deliberately cultivating this practice, we, can, uh, we are more readily available to absorb the nutrients, the things that are going to help make the seeds of forgiveness grow. So, cultivation, watering, that all lays the groundwork. What's the next thing that we do to create forgiveness? I steal a lot from recovery, so, um, uh, because there's so much wisdom that is in there. But the first thing I would say is fake it. <laughs> You know, there's those saying in recovery, fake it till you make it, right? We can, we, can, we can fake forgiveness until it actually begins to, um, until we actually begin to get a sense of what it is. Right? Again, some of you heard this story a gazillion times, so I apologize if you're hearing it again. But uh, for a long time, whenever my feelings got hurt, I'd stuff it away really quickly before I even had a chance to feel it. And usually at some point it would blow up out of nowhere, you know, and, and it wouldn't, I wouldn't know why. And I was talking with my teacher one day, and he was telling me about someone he knew in seminary who, whenever someone said something mean, he would go, ow. And when Kosho told me that, I thought, this is the bravest human being on the planet. You know, to be able to say ouch in front of someone else, particularly if it's another guy. In the guy's world, you know, it's kind of warped. You don't show, you know, vulnerabilities in front of guys. So I thought, this guy's, this is, this is crazy stuff, you know. So I thought, you know, I, I think I'm going to try this on. And so anytime anyone said anything mean to me, they'd be like, ow, ow, ouch. Ooh, there it is. You know, 
and then, until I could find it. And it took, it took several weeks. I mean, people weren't mean to me for several weeks. <laughs> but whenever something came, whenever something came up, and that actually opens up more like, areas of accessibility. Um, and so actually at one point, um, there was a woman there that, who I thought was my friend, and we were having dinner at Tassahara, and she started kind of giving me a hard time and making fun of me. I was like, ow, you know. And usually people will kind of, oh, oh, I was being mean, I didn't realize it. So, you know, I was like, ouch. And she uh, kept going. And I thought, okay, I'm out of here. So I picked up and moved to a different table, you know. And that's really, that's like a really excellent form of practicing some of the fundamentals of forgiveness. It's not to hang around and, and let somebody beat up on you, but to move or move to a place that, you know, people don't do that. <laughs> but I had to fake it for a long time to find that ouch place. You know, it was always there, but because I was so good at stuffing it, I couldn't catch it. Um, so it's 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 a really interesting thing that I had you know, I had to find my own way to make a connection to my pain, so to speak. And then the same way we do with uh, forgiveness. Another way. Another way that I've learned over the years is that um, a sincere apology from us, like if we have wronged someone and we offer a sincere apology, that's actually a form of self-forgiveness. So that's a way that we can connect with forgiveness, is that whenever we have wronged someone to, to own it and to apologize. We still have our karma, but because we still have the, because we have made contact with the remorse that has, that has resulted from the behavior, we're less likely to do it again. So it's a very good deterrent. Um, and also, uh, I always, I often think of Joko Beck. Charlotte Chocobeck, she's a, uh, one of my Zoomies students. And she had a really wonderful line in uh, Everyday Zen. And she said, it's a mistake to confuse people's behavior with who they are. It's a mistake to confuse how someone acts with the person that that's coming, with the, that that is coming out of. <clears throat> So it really helps to differentiate that and step back. That still doesn't mean that we hang around and expose ourselves to unskillful behavior. But we see, oh, they're complicated, you know? They're really, uh, really being unskillful, you know? Or if they're, if they're a fellow practitioner, we might say, wow, this, you know, this is the improved version. This improved version of what they were like before. You know, oof. It must be really hard. 
must be really difficult. do all of this or um, actively relinquishing the hold that the person or that the event has on us. Taking those bolt cutters. Yeah. Or weakening links in that chain. Close your eyes. And think of someone with whom you have an uncomfortable relationship. Not a fraught relationship. Maybe where there's a little bit of discomfort. If you can, picture that person. If you can't, uh, see if you can get uh, a sense of the person. And once you do, just silently say to that person, However you have harmed me, knowingly or unknowingly, willingly or unwillingly, I now forgive you. Next. We say, however, I have harmed you, knowingly or unknowingly, or unknowingly, willingly or unwillingly. Please forgive me. Finally, however, I have harmed myself, knowingly or unknowingly, willingly or unwillingly, I now forgive myself. This doesn't matter if you believe it. It doesn't matter if you feel like you're going through the motions. Just as in sitting zazen, just the act of doing it is very powerful. There is a part of the brain that cannot tell the difference whether we're faking it or not. 
So in this final week of the year, have this precious opportunity to really look at our intentions for next year. Maybe even to let go of grudges. To cultivate equanimity. And in doing so, we are <coughs> saving all beings. Are there any questions or thoughts?